sometimes you'll be in a meeting and, and you get talked over. We oh, all hear yeah, that, yes. right? You, you, like, you'll, then you'll hear someone else say that idea. I'm like, I just, I just said that. <laughs> How come it's better when it comes from you? Because I That's when I get aggressive. <laughs> you, Meryl. <laughs> you are listening to Your Financial Planner, Now What? The podcast to help you fast track your career by bringing you meaningful conversations on topics that influence new financial planners, their careers, and the lives of their clients. Welcome back for episode 98 and our discussion on gender inequality in the financial planning profession. We know that diverse teams perform better across industries, and yet our profession is struggling to bring in and retain diverse talent. I was honored to moderate the panel discussion at the FPA Retreat 2018 on this topic with Elisa Bowie, Kate Healy, and Jocelyn Wright, and we are excited to share this discussion with you today. If you have ever felt out of place, like you don't belong, or wondered what you can do to help women in the profession, well, you don't want to miss this. Straight ahead, we're tackling the issue of gender inequality in the financial planning profession and how we can all push for a more inclusive profession. When you think about the work of financial planners, do you think of words like passion, purpose, and impact? If not, then something just isn't right. I'm Kate Healy, Managing Director of Generation Next at TD Ameritrade, and we believe that empowering people to live their best lives is a noble calling. The independent RAAs who work with us use their passion to help transform client lives, communities, and their own futures. Want to learn more about how we can support you in helping your clients reach their financial goals? Find out more at tdainstitutional.com. So I am so honored to be moderating this panel, these ladies. Um, and you know, we talk about this idea of, or this concept of gender inequality. And what's so exciting to me about this panel and our profession taking up this issue is that this is what makes us good with our clients, is really hearing the person across the table and hearing the stories and, and helping them make progress. So I think we're the profession to be leading this conversation. So with that, a lot has been said about the issues of women um, in the financial services profession. And just by the nature of this conversation, we know that this is a problem and a conversation that needs to be had. But how would our profession be better off if we address the gender equality issues facing our profession? And then with that, what's holding us back? I'll go. I'll let, yeah, <laughs> Jocelyn. Well, um, how would we be better off? One, we would be able to service a broader spectrum of clients. And research has definitely shown that companies that are more diverse actually do better from a financial standpoint. And I don't think any company would you know, have a problem with that. Um, so there's definitely a quote unquote business case for it. And I think while we're having the problem, I was listening to a video on YouTube from Fortune magazine. I think it's Women in Empower. And it was a panel of um, breaking the glass ceiling. So there were three African-American female executives on the committee, one of them being Melody Hobson, who I have a girl crush on because I think she's fabulous. But she was saying one of the things that, um, you know, that we are working on this issue of diversity and that no company works on an issue. If it's something that's important to them, they get it done. And for however long, our profession, our industry has continued to work on diversity, whether it's gender or other underrepresented groups. And once it becomes a, you know, a top priority that we know that everyone, including, you know, top leadership down, then it will get done. And I just don't think that it has become something that we've all said we need to get this done, because if it has, we'd be getting it done much better than we are now. Thanks, 
I mean, I would love to think that we would be getting it done. I mean, I agree with everything you just said. And I mean, and the fact is, the fact is that this is an amazing business to be in. Um, I mean, I, I've been in this business for 35 years, and I ran a lifestyle practice, and, and I raised two girls, and I, I, left, I left the office at noon every Monday for, for, 15, for 18 years and went horseback riding with my daughters. And you don't get to do that in a lot of other professions. Um, and I'm not suggesting that the only reason that this is a great place for women is because we get to work fewer hours and do stuff with our kids. But there's really something huge to be said for that in the, the ability to, um, it's like when you're talking to your clients and you're telling them, I, I'd like to help you live your exquisite life, and then you're showing them that you're living your exquisite life in running this, the business the way you're running it. They're like, oh, well, if you can do it for you, I bet you can do it for me. And, and, and that's true for men and women and, and people with whatever skin color. It's, this is a brilliant profession to be in, and I don't quite understand why we're having so much trouble getting people to enter our profession with us. I don't get it. You're absolutely right. And, and to build on, on what Jocelyn talked about, you know, it's, it shouldn't be an initiative. It should just be how we do business. Mm -hmm. The research is out there. More diverse teams are smarter. But also from a business perspective, we don't have enough financial planners entering the pipeline. Regardless of if you're man, women, people of color, you're in a financial planning program or you're a career changer, we have a severe shortage. So that may be the business case that finally tips us over the edge where it does get done. There are a lot of efforts going on and they're, they're fantastic efforts. Um, the Center for Financial Planning is at least helping us bring them together so that all the efforts that we're all doing individually are starting to come together as one. We're all still doing our individual efforts, but we're getting some assistance, and we're doing more around creating the awareness to it. But diversity and inclusion is just really everyday business. You want to be smarter? You need to have all the right people at the table. And the way that our world is today, we're not all homogenous, so we need to have different people at the table to make sure we're getting the best ideas. You know, we look at the issue of women in the business, and it, a lot of people say this is, it can be an unfriendly industry or profession towards women. What does that look like for you? Like, what are the aspects of financial services that make it not friendly or not um, a place where women are naturally drawn to? I think there are a lot of assumptions. There are so many assumptions. In all of the great white papers and stuff, I'm so happy about and supportive of the work that's been done, but the assumptions that are in these papers are, in my opinion, horrific. This, you know, women aren't good with math. Oh, give me a freaking break. That's just <laughs> stupid. That's stupid. Of course we're good with math. I'll outmath any one of you. you XY, XY chromosomes out there, I'll outmath any one of you. There are so many assumptions that being said, if those assumptions are out there, those it's, those those young women's parents maybe or teachers or or peers are are sharing those assumptions with them, and so we need to like get just like get rid of that stuff and realize that this business is about there is a not another business where you get to use your left and your right brain every day all day long. No one else gets to do that, and you know maybe that is one of the pieces that makes it harder for people to get into the business because you got people you have to find people who like both. But 
I, yeah, there are a lot of assumptions about why women are not suited for this. Well, and I think and the assumptions are, there are people that have assumptions of, okay, you're a woman, well, then you're going to get married, you're going to have a family, and you're going to leave the office. You're not going to work for us. So, again, not having that conversation to say, well, I can have a flexible job. Don't assume that because I'm going to have a child that I'm not going to come to work. I might take three months off. I might want to get out of the house and get away from the kids if right. I to work. I know many people that do that. Um, you know, it's, it's making that assumption. There, there was a woman that used to work for me who was pregnant with me for her fourth and fifth child. And I remember telling someone that she was pregnant. And they were like, oh, my God, do you think she's going to come back to work after she has her first baby? I'm like, this is what I love. You have no idea she has three children at home. She's coming back to work because she doesn't want to be home before. <laughs> but the point is that they made an assumption that because she was working hard all the time, there's no way she had a life outside the office that included children. And they never knew. It never affected her work in any way because of the way she managed to it. Well, I'll talk about, you know, some of the sort of small microaggressions that you experience as um, a woman in this profession, and certainly as a black woman. I know when I moved, I started my practice when I was in Houston, moved back home to Philadelphia in 2008. Started with a small firm there that was your typical firm, you know, mostly uh, white males. And um, they, were, they had a small unit that they were focusing on the African-American market. And this unit had all, it was just black men. And the one thing that I said to them, where are the women? You can't find any black, you know, advisor. So I came on board. And my first week there, I was in um, the break room. And one of everyone, I, I told the person who I came uh, on board with, I said, they're going to think that I'm your assistant. And, you know, that's exactly what they did. You know, the first question is, who are you working for? And I just went, you know, oh, God, here we go again. But, you know, you get those sorts of things. Or, you know, certainly as a black woman having her own firm that, you know, you're not the person in control. I don't know how many of you watch Scandal fans, so we're all, you know, kind of mourning the last episode. But there was an episode probably three or four seasons back when um, she was working with someone and she went into the woman's office, women's home, it was a white woman, and um, Red was with her. And she goes in and she extends her hand to say, you know, I'm Carrie, you know, that's not, that's her, I'm Olivia Pope. I'm Olivia. Right, Sorry. Morning. <laughs> you know, I'm Olivia Pope, but then the woman goes to Red as if she were the person in control. And it's, you know, those little tiny things that, you know, at, certainly as a woman and then even more so as a black woman that we experience. And it's not, you don't always want to call it out, but you just think we kind of, we live that on a daily basis. And, um, you know, there are other stories, but you have to overcome that because you know for the greater good of your profession and your sanity that you have to rise above that. But it, it certainly happens. I want to talk about this idea of unconscious bias. I mean, that's a term that's going around a lot. Um, could I have one of you ladies talk about what that is and how does that affect women in, in this profession? It's really saying things that you might not be conscious of. So it's building on what Jocelyn just talked about. That woman may not have realized that she was totally dissing Jocelyn or Carrie or, or whoever in, you know, in scandal. Like, it's just, and we're really not drinking. We're just holding these. Um, maybe we should be. Um, but they're not realizing what they're doing. And so it's a, it's a behavior that happens all the time. And 
you know, something we need to think about because if we don't call them out on it, it is unconscious. They don't know they're doing it. I'm not giving everyone a break because there are people that are doing it and they know they're doing it. But there are people who don't realize that that undermines a woman. When you walk in and you automatically assume that she's the assistant, she's going to go make you coffee. I used to work for a woman who would stand, she was executive leadership, and she would stand in the back of the room and check the temperature. Like, why are you doing that? You deserve your seat up here. And by you doing that, then I feel like I can't have that seat up there. But there, there are people that are just doing it and they don't know. So we have to also start to think about when we need to have the conversations to tell them. Elizabeth Jatan, we were just sitting um, out there and she had to be doing some recording or she would really be here. But she told that, I'm sure, a joke, a, a joke, a riddle that everyone's heard. And there's a man and his son and they're in a car accident. And the man is killed, and the son is critically injured, and he's taken to the hospital, and the doctor walks in and says, I cannot operate on this person. He's my son. And you ask people, how is that possible? And generally people go, it's not possible. The, the father died. The mother was the doctor. And people are like, oh, geez, I didn't even think about that. I mean, that's the, yeah. the thing that we do all the time. You walk into a room. And you just assume that the woman or the brown person is not the person in charge. You just, as people, one, just assumes it. And it's just horrible. And also recognizing that we all have unconscious bias. So it's not just people who are in the majority. I have unconscious bias. Then the, the, the point is, like Kate said, is for those around you to call it out. Because while it's unconscious, you don't know about it. But once someone calls you on it, if you continue to do it, then you're a jackass. But, you know, <laughs> while it's unconscious, you, you're, you're good. Absolutely. My, my youngest daughter, I said, Bubba, we were doing, like, coloring. I said, give me the flesh color. She goes, you did not just say that. Oh, oh sorry. Give yeah. me the Caucasian flesh color. <laughs> Thank you very much. But she's like, you did not just say that. Yeah. It's like, yeah. So this idea of unconscious bias, I always, it, it's always frustrating for me because I, because, Justin, you're right. Everybody has it. I have my own unconscious biases. I have my own things that are holding me back as a woman in this profession and could be holding other women back. And I feel almost helpless in this conversation. You're talking about something that I don't even recognize in myself. So speaking to the men, the people in this room, men and women, who are hearing this and saying, I want to help this problem, and, oh, my God, are you saying that I might be part of the problem? What, what's, your, what's your response to that? Well, first off, kudos, because there are a lot of men in this room. So the fact yeah. that you're here, yeah. so cheers to you, because it's probably the most number of men I've seen in a room that's diversity or women-related. So that is fantastic. And I think that it's this is the first step, right? Hearing and listening and having us talk about this. You're not going to know what you're unconsciously buying, biasing us for if we don't tell you that. And so it's making those, having those conversations um, but joining, I, I, I spoke last year at a conference, and I invited the men to ask for permission first, but to join the women's initiatives for some of their meetings, where they're talking about what are the differences, what are the things, what are the things that we feel are challenges that are, whether it's helping us, you know, climb the ladder, um, just get ahead, figuring out different problems. Learn about those problems, because if we're not, we need your help. Most of the leaders in our profession are men. 
And if they're not there to help us, we're doing a lot of work, but we need your help. But you have to know what it is that we need, and we have to tell you that. So this is a first step to having and inviting men into the conversation, which is fantastic. And I like that, that it's, it's on women to be able to say, Here, here's the problem that we're facing, and here, here are, the, you know, this is what you've said to me, and, and really bringing that out in a really healthy conversation. And they're not easy conversations to have. That's what everyone has to understand. It's uncomfortable for all of us. I don't want to have to go to somebody and say, you know, when you do this, I feel this. That's not what I want to have to think about every day when I go to work. But if we're not doing it, we have to, we have to give ourselves a break a little bit. This is a hard conversation for all of us to have. This is, you know, we're living in a world where this is, we're becoming a majority minority. We have to all learn how to get along with each other. And we're all going to trip and make mistakes on the way there. So give ourselves a little break, but be open to having the conversations and really listening to someone else's viewpoint, because you're going to learn a lot in the process. And you know, one of the other things I just want to hit on is oftentimes these small things sound small. And so if somebody's hearing something that, that they're like, you have a problem with that, I mean, that that could be a really big issue for them. And so I don't know. Well, I mean, just how about how we communicate with each other? I mean, I, I don't think I'm an aggressive communicator, but I'm very much an assertive communicator, absolutely, positively. <laughs> and the number of times is just you hear like, oh, my God, why are you so mean? Why are you so... It's like, you know what? What I said was, if you listen to what I actually said, it was respectful, it was factual, it was real. It might have been assertive, but it was respectful and it was, it was, it was factual. And so don't project on me that I'm being aggressive just because I'm a woman talking this way. I really didn't say anything ugly at all. I did say something assertive, and, and I meant it. And, and if I, a man said that, it would have been exactly, completely okay. Exactly. That's a tough one. That goes on all the time. I mean, I own my own business. I can kind of say whatever the hell I want to say. <laughs> I mean, really? Who's going to, like, fi so fire me? Who's going to fire me? <laughs> I still get it. I still get it. Oh, God, that was aggressive. What was aggressive? I, what I said was, you did that job you did in this particular thing was not actually up to the standards I expect of you. Let me tell you what the standards are. Oh, my God, stop being aggressive. No, that's not being aggressive. That's actually just being clear. No, it's just not. And also allowing that voice, right? Because sometimes you'll be in a meeting and, and you get talked over. We oh, all hear that, right? You, you, like, you'll, then you'll hear someone else say that idea. I'm like, I just, I just said, said that. <laughs> How come it's better when it comes from you? Because I that's when I get aggressive. <laughs> you, girl. <laughs> <laughs> So in the last several months, uh, the Me Too campaign has made headlines, and we've seen it all over the news. And I am confident that our industry and our profession is not immune to these issues. How do we address these issues and really promote positive change? We have to talk about it. Um, Creating a safe environment where the women or men feel comfortable sharing their stories, because I think that when it first happened, it was all over, and there hasn't been a lot said about our profession, but we know the stories are out there. Um, there was a recent article, I think Wealth Management did an article on it, and the underreporting is still very high. 
because people don't feel comfortable telling their stories for, you know, that they will, you know, whatever the ramifications are. And too many women are just leaving that particular company or in the worst case, leaving the business altogether and just going somewhere else. But, you know, if you leave it, then that person is still going to continue that bad behavior. But they're reluctant because if that person is, you know, a top performer or the owner of the firm, what do you do? So we have to allow individuals to have a voice and to share their stories. And what does that look like? Like, I mean, I can get behind that idea, but like, what does that practically look like? In, I mean, is that just reporting to HR, or what about the companies that don't have HR departments? Well, is there, you know, do who do you go to? Is it the EEOC? I mean, there's there are places where you can go, but just making those resources available so women know, or again, men know where to go for that. Um, and being comfortable doing it, that you have anonymous tip lines that you can give your information and tell your story. I just think there's a, there just has to be a zero tolerance place. I mean, I own my own business because, I, I started a business because I just couldn't deal with the male hierarchy. I just couldn't. The, the, the sexual harassment, the lack of any respect, whatever. So I started my own business, and that's just not reasonable to expect that that's your only path. It's just not reasonable. But we know that a good number of women and minorities, that's what that's we do. That's why we do it. You know, exactly. So I don't have to deal, so I can start my own firm, and I don't have to you know, yep. deal with those issues. And it's still happening yes. as well. It's still happening. Okay. And I think we have to figure out a way to also teach people how to know when it's happening. Because sometimes you don't realize, you, know, you hear these stories of, well, it's a young girl. You're not sure that this is the norm. It's, there's zero tolerance, but teach them how to... Um, defend themselves and, and and find the resources that will help them that, and that they it's can completely report it. safe and it is safe and that and I and I tell people this all the time it, it's not the right culture for you so whether you're going to start your own firm or not but that's not the right place for you and you need to leave yeah you know we look at the issue of you know women in this profession it can be very overwhelming to look at the vastness of this problem and everything that needs to be done. What can we sitting in this room do to really help women in the profession? I want to figure out why, I want to figure out why so few women are coming into the profession. I want to figure out why the ones who come in are leaving. And I, I don't know, there's just a space for going to the, 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 not just the, the, the registered programs, but the schools where the registered programs are, and, and getting to these people, people, everyone, not just women, I mean everyone, before they have to make a call about what their major is to, to help people understand that this is these. I mean, I'm not gonna be humble. This is the single best profession in the world. This is the single best profession in the world. We need to be rewinding back to high school seniors and college freshmen and getting them to you know, want to be with us. I mean, men, women, brown, white, everyone, everyone. It's the single best profession in the world with kind of unlimited capacity at this point, right? I mean, not literally unlimited, but so much capacity that we, we could take every student who wants to become a, a financial planner, every single one of them for the next decade could have a brilliant career. We got to figure that one out. 
I think it starts even earlier, not I think, I believe it starts even earlier than college and high school. So the foundation being just financial literacy in general, because you'll find individuals, if you're not comfortable dealing with your own finances, there's no way that you're going to sit across the table from someone and tell them what to do. And certainly for women and minorities, that's a huge thing. So if we you know, create an environment in this country with financial education, then more people, we can get them interested in this as a profession. You'd be primed for it, right? Right, yeah. and then just the overall image. So if you just Google financial advisor, I do this all the time, the top images that you see are going to be, you know, largely white men. No knock on white men. You know, thank you for, you know, being the trailblazers um, and the pioneers in this profession. But as a, if it wasn't something that I wanted to do and already knew that I wanted to do that, if I had gone on the Internet to see, you know, what a financial advisor looks like, I probably would have been turned off. And how many people still, if they do that, they're turned off from it thinking, oh, there's no one that looks like me. I don't want to do that. And not everyone who's in the minority wants to be that first in a firm. There's a lot to do with being the first, you know, and thank God for those who have been the first, we stand on their shoulders, but not everyone's built for that. You know, they just want to be able to go somewhere, do the work, excel, and, you and know. not keep... stand out, like, oh right. my God, do I really have right. to blaze this trail? Yes. Could I just be on a trail with someone? Exactly, <laughs> let me just do my right? work, <laughs> exactly. Ah. Right. And, and we just, we all have to keep telling our story. Um, I was, I was um, telling Hannah or earlier, University of Akron, Barry Mulholland is having a diversity summit this week, and he's bringing in guidance counselors. So it's the people that are helping influence young people's career choices, yeah. Girl Scout leaders, those folks who are, their kids are looking up to to say, what are the things that I should be doing? We all need to be getting into the schools, the high schools. It's hard, you know, all different schools have different programs, but the more you can do if it's a, a girls organization, a boys organization, to just evangelize this profession, because you're right, it is, it, it's fantastic, and you all know my dream is a television show. Yeah. So <laughs> we're going to have a television show, and we're going to do what NCIS and CSI did for forensic so that, but that's what people happened. that nobody no, even knew existed. Yes, this exactly. happened, right? After CSI Absolutely. and NCIS. The, the forensic... Actually, they, they, I read an article last week oh. that um, the... What's the one with Skulder? Scully? Molly, Scully? Yeah, yeah, those guys. Molly Skully. Yeah. yeah. That, that show did more for um, STEM careers yes. than anything else. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, people laugh when I say it, but I mean it. We need a show that portrays what you all do to the masses, to know what Can good you picture us all in front are. of our computers, analyzing tax returns, flow charting well, estate nice plans, like, oh, shoot me now. We'll have, some, we'll have some life stories, some drama in there, but it's a fantastic. Yeah. Oh my God, a client just called and is, what? Oh my God, selling a business. Woo! <laughs> You're going to be in the first episode. She's going to be an extra. <laughs> But image is important. So, Very you know, important. they talk about you can't be what you can't see. Mm -hmm. So in order for more women, young girls to see themselves in this role, there, have, there has, has to, to be, be those positive images. And uh, what was it? RBC Wealth Management, to that same thing, they started doing a series of videos because they talked to Google and Google said, this is what you need. The, on the research that they did showed that more women wanted to be doctors after Grey's Anatomy, you know, X-Files, right. all of those things because of those positive images out there. So, you know, anyone in here who's a writer and has a script. You know, I'm looking for the Hollywood connections yes. now. That's what we need. I'm serious. <laughs>
I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> we can always start an online. Um, we could. We show could. Too. I, it just it Lisa Ray to, did that yeah. with her series. Yes. Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to hit on the topic of mentoring um, because that's a huge issue or a huge uh, point of conversation when we're talking about women in in finance. Can you guys speak to to mentoring and then also? Can men mentor women? I mean, obviously they can, but does that help them on, on a lot of this, these issues? Mentoring is uh, critically important. When you talk to a lot of uh, women and other underrepresented groups, that's one of the things that they said is important in their career path, is being able to have a mentor. And I would say even further than that, having a sponsor. Uh, you know, someone who's going to help you get into uh, additional leadership positions. So. That's important because you need someone that's going to, you know, that you can talk to about different things if you're having some challenges, but also someone who's going to encourage you to continue to move on. That might be someone who, you know, they don't even have to be in your firm all of the time, but having a mentor, someone who might talk you off the ledge when you're saying, you know what, this is just too much. I can't take it. I'm, you know, going to get a job somewhere else. So that's really important. And it is important for men to mentor. I know now with the Me Too movement and even before that, there were some issues where men were reluctant to mentor, particularly young single women, uh, just because of the optics of it. You just never, you know, people make assumptions. And so we have to get over that because it is important that men mentor women because in most cases they are in the leadership position mm-hmm. and other men get that advantage over women. So, you know, we have to level the playing field in those areas. Yeah, I mean, I'm in this business because I was mentored by a man. Bill Korn, one of the early, early, early adopter CFPs, he was just fantastic. And of course, that was years ago. And, um, you know, there weren't a lot of women to mentor me at that time. But yeah, but I'm in this business because of being mentored by a man. I think that there's a place for the mentee to define what they want from the mentoring relationship. And so if it's mentoring about running a business, being a financial planner, being a, you know, that could be anyone. If, it's, if, it, if what they want is I need to figure out how to be a, a mom or a woman in this business, then they might really be pursuing a, a woman as their mentor. But I think that it's up to the mentee to decide what they're looking for. You can have more than one. Exactly. I was going to say, yeah, you, don't, Absolutely. you should have more than one. Yeah, and different points for different. Absolutely. Yeah. When we start talking about the issue of diversity, I've heard some reaction that oftentimes this idea of diversity and inclusion is actually divisive. And, you know, we're talking about women and minorities, and it's, what about the men? You know, and, and can you guys just address that um, objection that I've heard in the past? The real problem is we're preaching to the choir in this room. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yes, we can. Well, even the the conversation, I was talking to someone earlier about coming to the session, people just see women in diversity and think, oh, as a man, oh, that's not for me, that this session wasn't for them. Yes, this is something that will benefit us all in the long run. So how do we make sure men feel comfortable? We need them as allies. It's very important. Um, and it's not as if we are trying to take anything from right. men in creating a more diverse profession. You know, there are 
clients, hundreds of thousands of clients out there that need us. And because we don't have the proper pipeline, they're going un underserved or unserved. So if we're really serious about you know, being better in our profession and serving clients, then we need to make sure that we have um, the, the professionals in order to do that. I, I, I said something many, many years ago that has people kill, still come up and tell me, and I still stand by it, is that this profession has the most female males of any profession <laughs> in the world. The men in this profession are, the men in this profession ha hone their female side. They do. And so it's like, it's really easy to, to be mentored by and or be partners with, or be in study groups with, or be whatever with the men in this profession because they really have honed their female side. They have. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and that is, to me, that's like the hugest compliment. I mean that as the hugest compliment. So we want to... <laughs> We really want this to be a conversation with the audience, and so we're going to open the, the com open up questions. Ooh, got some oh, here we go! Hey. Here we go! Let's let's. We're open. So excited! Be very afraid. Like, like calling to me for half an hour. I can't really stand it. So, a um, couple of thoughts. One is um, for people who are um, business owners. Can I say? Would you please, please, please offer paid maternity leave? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Okay. Thanks. Done. Yes. Got that done. Um, two. And paternity leave. Yeah. Parental oh, leave. Oh no, parental, parental leave. leave. Parental leave. leave. Exactly. Thank you. Exactly. Thank you. Um, I think it's not just our industry. I know it's not just our industry. Industry wide, keeping women and young women in the workforce to the extent that they want to be in the workforce. And one thing that was useful for me, I had three babies inside of five years, and my employer said not a word about my rapid reproduction and <laughs> about, yeah, about which um, I was very, very grateful. And, you know, I was like forever like pumping, disappearing to pump, <laughs> having to leave early to go pick up the baby from whatever baby I had from daycare or whatever. And, and I swear they sort of could have been, they were just out to lunch. That might be it. But also they sort of like turned a blind eye for like four years. And, um, I will forever be loyal to this firm. Like, it, it was so meaningful to me. That's such just men, especially if you don't know, it's like such a vulnerable, stressful, exhausting time. And I really think that that really sort of just kept me. And I, I came back to work full time, but I know other women who like drop for, you know, drop their hours. And I think to the extent that business owners can be flexible with that arrangement, it's, it's really very meaningful. And the other thing I'd like to say is, um, you know, when I was very young, I was acutely aware of the dynamic when there were some senior men, senior advisors in my firm, and we did, um, what do you call it, like paired um, client servicing. So it was like a senior-junior pairing, which is like how I learned, right? Um, and I, I was very mindful, one of the men that I was paired with, I'm thinking of two different firms, that that can be a place where I feel like men men can empower those women, and you know I had a I had a pairing with a, a partner, a more senior than me male partner, who used to say to me, and he was just trying to be efficient, 
client would say something and he would say, write that down. <laughs> you know, because my job really was to take the notes, right? And so because I was learning at the time. But it, it wasn't helpful in empowering me. And, you know, contrast that with another person who I'd been paired with who, and I, I adore this man to this day, and this was so meaningful to me, when the client would say, oh, I brought these files for you, and this was back in the days when you, like, photocopied things. Brought back, <laughs> you know, I brought these paper files for you to photocopy, or here's my tax return, or whatever. And he would say, I'll go make the copies. And he would leave the conference room. And the first time it happened, I was like, oh, I'm alone with a client. <laughs> you know? And I, I think he was just trying to, like, get stuff done. I, I really don't think that I know him well enough to know that I don't think he was that conscious about it. But, but it, was, it was such a joy for me to be like, I am not making the copies. Like, he is making the copies. And I just, I just think those s- small you know, things that we can show each other, that if, if men could be conscious of that, it, may, it makes a difference. And I, I'm 22 years into this profession, and I remember this still, and it, it's meaningful to all of us. And so if, that's all I have to say. That was a lot, sorry. <laughs> and I, I think you, you, touch on, you touch on a really huge point that we are, for the most part, not everyone in the room, but for the most part, we're, we're small businesses. And there's a place to have parental leave and there's a place to have adult, what we call in our firm, adult benefits. You know, like real health insurance and real short-term and long-term disability and life insurance. There's a place for us all to lean in and say, you know, we are actually a real profession. And I might have eight, we're now, I think we're up to, we're going to be 14 employees momentarily. But to have like real adult benefits, including parental leave, is a big deal, and that's one of the places where we're gonna get the young people want to come into our profession because they're going, oh, I have a career path and benefits, thank you very much, I can compare this to working at ABC Big Corporation. And that speaks to culture, and knowing that not all large firms have it. I have uh, two clients in the Houston area, one works for an oil and gas company, and when she was pregnant with twins, she, we were sitting down talking, she said, you know they don't have maternity leave. And another client just recently, she works for the VA, the freaking VA. They don't have maternity leave. Seriously. How is that possible? Wow. I mean, I was wanted to write something. So people need like, to come work for these small firms like yeah. us who have eight weeks of That's paternal crazy. leave, parental leave. Flexibility goes such a long way. Yeah. It's not Maternal, paternal, <laughs> just the I mean, Because if you're going to talk about inclusion and, and creating a culture that is inclusive and welcoming to all, that is, duh. Or I won't say duh, maybe for some men they don't even realize that. So again, it's important that we bring the issue up and say, I'm not, I don't have children, but I would advocate for parental leave. Absolutely. Patrick? First of all, I want to say I'm proud of my feminine side. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) So are we. (laughs) This fall, I'm going to be teaching my 32nd semester in a CFP program, and the most I've ever had of, of females in my class are about 15%. It's usually 5 or 10%. And minorities is between 0 and 5%. Mm-hmm. So I think as a profession, we need to do a better job of marketing profession and our career positions to women and minorities. And, you know, maybe something like uh, each, each uh, chapter point somebody to go to the high schools when they have career days and things like that and because nobody knows about it yeah i talked to people in my my son's class and nobody knew what i did for a living nobody so 
we need to do a better job of telling the world what we do and how we do it and how great it is. And everyone in this room can do that. It's easy, right? Every one of you can go into your kids' class, your nieces or nephews' class, and show them, because you're right. And there are, the CFP board has done videos. I am a CFP pro, Rianca stars in one. And it tells a story of a young financial planning professional. And it looks like a really cool job. Some of them are driving Mercedes, for heaven's sake. So, but those are the kinds of tools that you can also use to do that, because I do think it's important for everyone here to get on campus, college campus, but also definitely the high schools and younger. Yeah. I really think we need to think about it as a profession. Maybe the board of directors of the FPA make that an initiative where every chapter has a representative. I think that would be a That's great initiative. I think Just doing it one initiative. off here and there, it's not going to work. We need the whole profession to do it. Thank you. I just have a comment to circle back to the parental leave for the men in the room. First off, thanks for being the men in the room. That's huge. If you are a firm owner, a firm leader, a male of parenting age, take the paternity leave. It sends a really clear message to the women that this is not just words, that leave is family parental leave. It also sends a message to your younger male advisors. If you're Say you're 40 and you're just still getting at it. That's great for you. Take that leave because there's some 25-year-old out there who's getting the message that it's not real. You know, take it. Sorry. That's why Arlene is not up here on this Still bad. getting at it. That's going to be in some something. I, someone's going to write gonna that day it out. Mm -hmm. it. It's going to be over there. Thank you, gentlemen. <laughs> so it's just an observation from my perspective. I, th I think one of the big reasons that women succeed in this job, and Lisa, what you touched on was men tapping into their femin feminine side, is our job is all about goals-based planning. You set goals and you try to achieve the goals and you try to co-create the goals with the client. All this research in our industry talking about how our clients identify with goals-based investing. They want goals-based investing. There's emotions with goals-based investing. And I think from my experience and, and I come from a male-dominated practice, not intentionally, it's just family necessarily, but I think that women do an excellent job of tapping into that. And I think the future of our kind of practice is going to be a fantastic avenue for women to get into in the, in the uh, working world. And I think that there, if we create some of these um, initiatives, like the gentleman was saying, to get awareness for the job, I think women can take off and, and do such a fantastic job with it. So just want to share that option. We need to do. Thank you. Thank yes, you. agreed. Okay, I'll, I'll thank you. Um, I Hi, Debbie love... Gross, my mentoring sandwich. Oh, I love you <laughs> so much, so I much. I mentored Debbie, and then Debbie mentored our my daughter, and so we made a Debbie sandwich. <laughs> it was... Quite an honor to be in the between the two slices of awesomeness that are Elisa and Lauren. Um, so much of what has been said here today resonates, and I just love it. And 
Um, I'm so grateful. And the two things that have particularly struck me that I wanted to get up and say something about um, was, Elisa, you and your comments about um, your assertive communication and, and paired with um, this profession um, being the most um, feminine males in that that you know of it's a it, it lends itself to it and and what occurs to me is that we as females need to embrace our male side right and it yes. relates to the assertiveness and I think that is an important thing about mentoring that right or wrong it's my assessment that um, sometimes women or people you know uh, in a minority they try and be assertive and then they get pushed back and they're like all right there's a lot of work I'll just okay fine. You know, I'm at it. And, and it's okay to be assertive, right? You know, it's mm -hmm. okay. There's a negative, um, a, a negativity associated with being assertive and being a female. And you know what? For being assertive and for saying it's okay to be assertive and, and be a strong female and, and embrace it. And so that and the comment about being kind, right? As we're going through and we're learning it and calling people attention to their unconscious bias, and it's like, okay, you know, before, you know, it's not intentional, fine, you make a mistake. And now, you know, practice and learn with it and, and be kind while you're doing that. And I just really appreciated that comment as well. So thank you. Those are the thank two you. highlights for me. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Go ahead. I think you were up before I was. Um, all right. Well, I'm passionate about this topic. And I wanted to make a plug first because we have Marilyn in the room. And the CFP board has a wonderful initiative called the WIN Initiative. And I'm in yep. It's ambassador or I can't remember what the term is. They provide, they've done some research and they provide all these resources. So if you're, you're in this room, I'm assuming you care about this. If you want to get involved and go out and talk to young women of various ages about how wonderful our profession is and why they should get involved, CFP Board's got wonderful materials. So please check it out. And I'm sure Marilyn will be happy to talk to you about it. Um, the thing I struggle with, so I, I have a young daughter and I've talked to her elementary school kid girls, I've talked to high school kids, I've talked to college kids, I've talked to MBA students. I struggle with where is the right inflection point when women and, and kids in general are figuring out their career path to, to be open and to have it have more impact. Because I can go talk to high school kids all day long, but even seniors still aren't really focused on careers yet. They're just focused on college maybe. Um, so I'm curious what, I know you mentioned the different ages you can talk to them, but I'm curious if you guys have any opinions on the right age to start talking to kids about careers and our career. And secondly, and kind of related, it seems like even if we get out there and tell everyone about this great career um, and they get excited about it, a lot of places they don't really have an educational choice. I mean, I live in the Bay Area with millions of people. We do not have an undergraduate program in financial planning and it drives me bonkers. Um, so how do we get more um, programs, more especially at the undergraduate level, in financial planning so that if these kids are interested in it, they can actually explore it academically? So, so your last point, I would talk to the schools in the area and tell them that there's an interest because many schools are looking for um, 
programs that one have a career track mm -hmm. because they're some they may be jettisoning some old you know programs and looking for new ones so if you know you can talk to them about what the career path is the opportunities and although it may take some time to get approval by the board of trustees and all of that it still can be something that they get in the works or at least starting a certificate program which may be a little easier than an actual and you know, i think your your point jocelyn your point earlier about just if, if people are just exposed to the concept of financial planning, they, they're be interested. I think it's a long road. I think it's a really, really long road, but it's something that we have to do. I, you know, I don't there may the not answer. be an inflection point, just whatever group that you're most comfortable with. If you like talking to, you know, the elementary school, I would go there. But knowing that it has to be, you can't, it's not one and done. Right. So, you know, the repetition, them seeing you, and we know that children are watching. So it could just be watching you get, you know, your own children may be watching and their friends, watching you get dressed for work and going out to a business meeting. And when they're playing like adult and dress up, they may be, you know, saying that, oh, I'm going to a business meeting. you up as a financial meeting. planner? <laughs> well, you know, have your business meeting. So Barbie, um, a couple of years ago, they did like a A really dull outfit. <laughs> but they did a rebranding and they had all of these different Barbie types. So it was like a teacher Barbie, a business Barbie. And I say it was a financial planner Barbie. She's in, C, right? <laughs> she's in the airport talking about her business meeting and all of that. So, you know, there, people are paying attention, but we can't just kind of go in one time and think that we've made an impact. It has to be, you know, multiple times or get a group of people and, and rotate. And, and I yeah. really, I actually really do think that there is a step here. I think there's a step here. What if, and someone said it, someone out here said it, what if FPA and CFP board we're going into every single university that has a, 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 a program and speaking to all of the students or you're creating a space to speak to the students as freshmen. What if every single school we went and did that? I mean, you'd get a Maryland's back, there's yes. Maryland. You'd get a, a thousand volunteers to go do that. We would love it. Just go to every single one of these programs, talk to these freshmen about what and, financial planning is about. And then teach at them. Yeah. We have a shortage of teachers, so the CFP board has a program where you get a certificate from Columbia University in teaching CFP registered yeah. programs. And we have a shortage of financial advisor teachers, so there's also something that you can... But you can I really do. do think Jocelyn's point of financial planner Barbie is really spot on. It is. We, that came up. Where did we that just come CFP up? Board, that, the CFP board, yes. Financial planner Barbie. Women to watch. At Women to Watch, we came up with oh, uh, okay. Mattel. Yeah, right. Hey, did they ever tweet back? <laughs> we reached out to Mattel. So we are coming up towards the end of the session, and we have so many people. So let's, can we keep going past time if we let them break for dinner if they want to? If they want to leave, they can leave. Back from dinner, so absolutely. Okay, perfect. So we just want to let you know we are coming up to the bottom of the hour. Um, so dinner is going to be served in just a couple of minutes, but we want to be sure to, um, to hear everything that you're saying. So uh, we'll keep going with the questions and comments. I just want to continue the conversation at the university level. I'm seeing my daughter as a sophomore. She knows she wants to do what we do, but she has you know, somebody that she's seen in the industry. She knows what a great career it is. But her professors keep saying, oh, you should be an accountant, or you should be an investment manager, right? So what we're doing at my firm is we are going out to the universities in our area, and I actually send my young CFPs and my young CFAs out to talk to the finance club. You know, and the economics club 
and trying to educate the professors on what we're doing. And the other thing I would challenge us as business owners is to offer a paid internship for college <laughs> yes. students. Yes. And boy, Absolutely. we really light up some of these college students. We do and a meaningful every internship. Semester. Yes. We do right. three interns a year and we rotate and they are paid and they're part-time and most of them can study while they're working. And it's a phenomenal program, but I think we really need to work to also educate the professors, but that is a good way to get to the students. And I would just add, when you go to the accounting club and the finance club, go to the sociology club and the psychology club and the teacher club, because those are people who want to help people. They don't know this career exists. They find out about it and they become aware, and then they become financial planning students. So broaden it outside of just accounting and Perfect. economics. But internships, everyone should be doing them. Actually, Investment News has two really good papers that have recent, mm -hmm. recently been released. They did one with Charles Schwab and the other, oh, who was the other one with? But it talks about us, those. Us, TD Ameritrade. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't go bell. <laughs> but, you know, they give really good points on what you can do to increase um, diversity. And they talk about internships, mentoring, uh, making sure that you really are, you know, providing an inclusive, open environment for women and other minorities. So they're two great, great pieces. So we are running out of time. So we only have time for one or two more questions uh, from the production. Taylor. What? Sorry. Oh. And I want to make sure, Marilyn, we get, we get to you. Oh. So, um, do you? Okay, so Marilyn, well. Thank you. Well, Tanya, thank you for the shout out. And thank you guys so much. This has been an incredible discussion. And Everything that you've said is spot on in terms of the research that we've done, lack of awareness, and then an unfriendly firm environment. And I would just like to give another plug, if I might. Many of you in the room know Eleanor Blaney. She, Eleanor Blaney CFP, she is a, um, an FPA member, and she has spent her career, really, fostering gender diversity in the profession. She's passionate about it. She was our gender diversity expert at the Center for Financial Planning, and she just uh, retired uh, just, this year, just last year. And she has made a gift of $100,000 uh, to the Center for Financial Planning as a challenge gift uh, for our gender diversity initiatives in the center. And so I just wanted to just, there are many, many things you can do. You can mentor, you can be an advocate, and you can, and you Write a check. Time, talent, and so, treasure. So forgive me, but I just, in honor of Eleanor and her incredible contribution to this profession and to FPA, I just wanted to say that. And Kirsten gave me permission. Thank you. I just want to say, oh, yeah. as an OWG, thank you. <laughs> I, I have minted three CFPs in our firm in the last decade, and they're all women. And I really want to thank you guys for thank opening you. this conversation. Thank you, Ron. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. WG. So, yeah, so we encourage you to... Yeah, continue this conversation and that there's going to be an FPA community on Connect that's going to be started around this conversation. So be sure to look on... Uh, emails and online for that in the f near future. So thank you. I don't know about Kate, well, you guys, but I'll stay if anyone has questions yeah, or, yeah, you know, here. any information. Dinner will totally. be there. Thank you. Thank you. How is your work connecting you to your purpose, your community, and your values? I'm Kate Healy, Managing Director of Generation Next at TD Ameritrade. 
And we believe that independent registered investment advisors have the power to impact the world in profound ways. If you've never considered being an RAA, it's time to take a look. There's no better way to put your skills and knowledge to work for the greater good of your clients, your community, and your own future. Find out more at tdainstitutional.com. Wow. I hope you enjoyed this FPA retreat panel discussion with Lisa Bowie, Kate Healy, and Jocelyn Wright. They are all wonderful women and our profession needs more like them and like you. Next week, Mike Bryans from Bryans Consulting joins us to continue the discussion from his work with the FPA Coaches Corner. Thanks for listening.